Thank you so much for joining Hill City Church Online. For more information about how we do life together, you can find us at hillcitychurch.ca. We would love to help you discover your next steps in this journey of living and loving like Jesus. Now stay tuned for another encouraging and inspiring message from Hill City Church. This morning, I'm really excited uh, to kind of share something a little bit different. I know the last couple times I've been preaching, I've been talking about like some real big, like, 30,000 feet vision kind of stuff about who we are as a church and, and who we want to be and, and all this stuff, that we're going to reach the city, that we're going to storm the, the walls and, you know, the kingdom of God is going to come. And, and I know sometimes you just like, you leave going like, man, I don't know what he said, but it was powerful. You know what I mean? Uh, but today, I really just want to leave you with some, some key things that I think are going to help us all and some things that have been helpful for me in, in how we can trust the Bible and how we can trust that... Um, that really what we have is the inspired word of God and that it is accurate. Wouldn't that be nice to have that kind of confidence, you know, that you could know that you could trust the Bible. And uh, so we're going to get right into it this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles here this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1 and uh, verse 16, if you don't have a Bible here this morning, that's totally cool. We're going to have it up on the screen behind me, hopefully, saying that in faith. Uh, so verse 16, it says, for we did not know, this is the Apostle Peter, this is a guy who, who walked with Jesus throughout Jesus' ministry. This is a guy who, who, hey, this is a message of hope for somebody who denied Jesus three times, and now he's writing in the Bible, huh? How many know your story's not over? I don't know where you're at, I don't know how you're feeling, but God can use you. He can turn it all around. This guy who denied Jesus three times is now declaring uh, and helping the church be established in who Jesus really is. So verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, what, eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have this prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Some good Bible here this morning, hey? Awesome. Why don't you just join with me as we pray, ask that God would speak to us. Father, we thank you. Uh, for your word. And God, we're not just asking for more information here today. God, we need you to connect the dots that we would have a clearer understanding, God, of who you are and the confidence that we can have in your word. God, I ask that you'd help me to communicate it clearly, that we would all have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and the grace to walk out what you've called us to do as the church. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Why do you believe the Bible? Maybe, yeah, it's the word of God. I heard that. That's absolutely true. We would, we would stand on that. 
And maybe you're here today and you're, you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian. You wouldn't say, yes, I'm a Christ follower. And so you're just like, actually, I don't believe the Bible. Well, I'm hopefully at the end of this, you will. But for those of us who would say that, yes, we are Jesus followers, we are Christ followers, why do you believe the Bible or claim to believe the Bible? If we were honest, I think some of us would go, well, I was, this is the Bible belt of the Fraser Valley. I was raised that way. Is that anybody? I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised, we believe the Bible because it is the word of God. Okay, that's awesome. I think that's great. Do you believe because you tried, you tried it and it worked for you? You know, these are all great things, and I don't want to throw stones at anybody's, you know, reasons and motivations for believing the Bible, but I want you to know something, that both of those points leave a logical hole big enough to drive a semi-truck through. <laughs> Welcome to church. Why do I say that? Well, you were raised that way. Well, the fact is, if you were raised in the Middle East, there's a high percentage that you would have been raised as a Muslim. So does that, therefore, make the Quran true? because you were raised that way? Or you tried it and it worked for you? Imagine this, there's a man who's in AA and one of the steps that you have to have is you have to have a higher power. So he's sitting there in his room one day, he's trying to figure out this step, who? Man, who's gonna be my higher power? And there's a little sparrow that comes and lands in the tree just outside of his window every day. He's like, all right, sparrow, you are now officially my higher power. The dude hasn't drank in 10 years. He tried it and it worked for him. So would you say that that sparrow has more authority than your Bible? I don't think so. You know, I think sometimes we, we just hear things all the time and, and we don't really stop to think about them. We hear, oh, you know, that we, and we've even heard the scriptures, Paul speaking to Timothy, that, that all scripture is inspired by God and is beneficial for correction, for training in righteousness. And these are things that we say as Christians, yet we have no substance, no foundation to stand upon logically to prove that statement. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. In 1 Peter 3.15, Paul says, or Peter says this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you with gentleness and reverence. In other words, you and I as Christ followers should always be ready to give a reasoned response, that word defense in the Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek, and we're gonna get deeper into that. That word defense is the Greek word apologia. It's where we get this word apologetics from, and that's not apologizing for the Christian faith, okay, folks? Apologetics is giving a reasoned response. It is giving a logical, historical, defendable, concrete um, perspective and persuasion to trusting in, in the scriptures, in the Bible, and in the truth of who Jesus really is in a lot of ways. So can, can we maybe talk about something a little bit more 
that carries a little bit more weight than, hey, I was raised that way, or hey, I tried it and it worked for me. There's a man named Vody Bauckham, and he says it this way, and we're gonna put it up here. But uh, Vody Bauckham, he is an apologist. He is, he is somebody, he's a pastor, and he's a writer. He's a theologian of sorts, and, and he goes and travels to different places, universities, and he gives a defense for the Christian faith. He says this, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written down by what? Eyewitnesses. In the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, they report to us supernatural events which took, which took place in fulfillment of specific prophecy and claim to be divinely inspired and not human in origin. That is why we should read the Bible. Does that feel, or why we should trust the Bible? Does that feel like that's maybe a little bit more concrete than I tried it and it worked for me? Feel like you can maybe sink your teeth a little bit into that? Well, we're gonna go, kind of go through that here today. You know, when we approach the Bible, a lot of times we go like, well, this is just kind of like, it's kind of a spooky spiritual book. You know what I mean? Like, I've, you know, like, can you really use logic to figure this out? Like, this is spiritual matters here. And I think something we need to do that would be so beneficial for our walk with Jesus and, our, and even our defense of the Christian faith and even sharing our faith with others is not just to see this as some weird, spooky, supernatural book, but to see this as a historical document. Because what's crazy is there's names, dates, places written down for us that have tested the test, or that have, that have survived the test of time. It has been scrutinized and scrutinized and scrutinized again, and yet is still the number one best-selling book on the face of the planet, folks. It's not just... I know like we, we the, the Lord, like he speaks to us from his word and the Holy Spirit is, is like speaks deep to in our, within our core. I don't know if you've ever had that before where you've opened up the Bible and it's like, it's just like a scripture jumps off the pages to you. It is a supernatural book, but it's not only a supernatural book. It has some logical, reasonable, defensive points to it. So first of all, eyewitnesses. In Luke chapter one and, and verse one, it says, in as much as many have undertaken to compile, actually, let me just say this first. Do you wanna know who Luke was? Luke was a follower of Jesus. He was, he was one of the disciples. He was a doctor, but he was also what? He was a historian. You ever wonder why Luke is like one of the longest, is the longest gospel? It's because dude was writing down every point possible. I'm gonna get everything down. Do you wanna know why Acts is so long and has so many random details in it? Because Luke is like, well, we can't leave that out. A historian will always choose to put something in and not cut something out, okay? So this, this is really important for us to understand this. Luke is writing, he's saying, it is in as much as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those, uh, those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Like I said before, God wants you to have confidence 
He wants you to have confidence that what we are holding here is the word of God. But think about this. There was eyewitness accounts. You know, it's one thing for me to come in and say, hey, well, I, lift, I bench pressed 500 pounds the other day. Yeah, pretty big deal. But the, the, the very next question you should ask me, if I ever say, hey, I bench pressed 500 pounds the other day, you'd be like, oh, was anybody else there? That's the first question you should ask. Or hey, did you maybe, I don't know, record it? Well, if you didn't film it, it didn't happen. That's the world of the digital age. Because eyewitness accounts carry some weight. You know, if you ever, I don't know if you guys are into like watching like those um, crime dramas and stuff like that. Who's into CSI? It's any CSI? Folks, we got a few people being honest. Okay. Um, what about like Hawaii Five-0? I remember Hawaii Five-0 back in the day. Like, I mean, the original one. Because whenever I was faking being sick, staying home from school, I'd watch The Price is Right. And then that would come in and the wave would come in. I was like, oh, okay, TV off. All right. But can you imagine... Uh, uh, one of those crime dramas or something like that, they never start with congruent eyewitness accounts. Can you imagine if everybody's coming, yeah, so-and-so did it, I saw it, yeah, I saw it too, I was there, was right at the beginning. The show would be over in five minutes. Because they all know that. So Luke is saying, there's been eyewitness accounts. I'm writing this down. Luke is writing the gospel down for us so that we would have confidence based on eyewitness accounts of who Jesus was and what he did. Also in 1 John chapter 1, John's writing now, another disciple of Jesus who lived, lived with him and was close with him. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us that we have seen, heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ, these things we write so that your joy may be made complete. Again, they're talking about seeing, touching, experiencing. Peter wrote in that, in that first passage that I wrote, he talked about how they heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. I love it how Peter kind of leaves out in that passage how he was the one telling Jesus what to do. And then the voice from heaven came and said, hey, Peter, you should probably listen to my son. In other words, stop talking. But Peter was there on the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus, his clothes began to like be bright white and they were almost translucent and they could see Moses on one side. They could see Elijah on the other side. And then they hear this voice from heaven. This is my son in whom you should listen to, Peter. Eyewitnesses accounts. This is, a, this is what separates the Bible from every other scripture, every other quote-unquote holy book. Listen, I'm not trying to stomp all over anybody's beliefs here or anything like that, but we'll get to the facts. Muhammad had a revelation, of, a revelation of who God was sitting on the backside of a mountain in Medina by himself. Nobody else. 
Do you realize how suspect that is? We don't have that. We don't have a bunch of guys sitting on the backside of a mountain saying, hey, I think we should come up with a crazy story about who this Jesus character is. We could make some money. We see again and again, we see prophetic, prophetic words, and we're going to get into that again. I'm getting ahead of myself. But we see these promises all through the Old Testament. We see Jesus hidden within the Old Testament and now revealed in the New Testament. It wasn't just some made-up experience. So it wasn't just eyewitness testimony, but it was documented and written down in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's making a case for this. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which, was, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. Come on, somebody. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul says now in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the other twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. See, Jesus didn't just reveal himself to a select few on the backside of a mountain, completely removed from civilization. He, re he revealed himself to over 500 people. And as Paul is writing this in the early 50s AD, he is saying, so as, even as I'm writing this, some of the people who have seen Jesus are alive. Some have fallen asleep, but theologians believe there's over 300 people, roughly, that would have been alive at that time. As Paul is writing this, Eyewitnesses account written down in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. You go, well, Brian, I've, I've heard the conspiracy theories. What was that um, Da Vinci Code? Right? I've seen Da Vinci Code, Brian, so that argument doesn't really stand up. Well, let, let, me, let, me, let me try something. Or people say this. They say, well, you know, the Bible was translated. It's been translated so many times. And you've ever, you played that game telephone before, right? You know how it starts. You say something to somebody's ear, and then it goes down the line and goes down the line. And before you know it, you're at Purple Monkey Dishwasher at the end, right? <laughs> and my family would know sometimes I purposely throw that in there. I am that guy that purposely messes it up, okay? Don't judge me. But that's, that's the error, is the scriptures have not been translated like that. We have 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts that were written down in Greek and have been all, all the translations that you have. And this is why it is so important, the translation that you're reading. Is this is why some translations don't make it. It's because they are not in line with not just the new, the new King James or the New Living Translation or the NASB or the, the New International Version or something like that. They go back, the scholars go back to the original Greek documents, the 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts that we have today. That is where theologians go back to when they're translating the Bible. You go, well, Brian, I've heard the conspiracy theories. 
I've heard about the crazy monks that were just motivated to turn this whole Jesus thing into a business opportunity. So they, they went and they've doctored up all the documents. Can I, let's just again, 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts. So you're telling me that these monks went and found all 6,000 of these manuscripts, changed what was in them, and then snuck them back to where they stole them from all without getting caught. Here's the other problem with that. Jesus said, go and make disciples of what? All nations. So these Greek documents were not just written down in Greek. They were also translated into other languages so people of other nations could read them. We have Syriac. We have Coptic. We have Aramaic. So now, if this conspiracy theory is true, that there was these crazy monks and they went and they grabbed, and it's, it's, just, it's just a big, it's a big scam. They would have to go find the 6,000 manuscripts and portions of manuscripts written down in Greek, find now the copies in Syriac, find the, co- the copies in, in Coptic and in Aramaic, make the same changes that they made to the Greek manuscripts and get them back to where they stole them from, all without getting caught. Think about that for just a minute, folks. You can't even find your keys sometimes, let alone 6,000 Greek manuscripts. Here's another layer of this. The early church fathers, the people who were God was using to build the church, they had this habit of writing commentary on these Greek, on these Greek manuscripts and on the copies. So, in, in a, actually, a man named, um, oh, what was his name? Bruce Metzger, he's a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, he says, if all we had was the early church father's writings, we, we could piece together about 95% of the New Testament. So let's go back again. For this conspiracy theory to work out, these people would have to find 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts written down in Greek. They would have to find all the Syriac copies, all the Coptic copies, and the Aramaic copies. And also, they would have to find all the letters written down by the early church fathers, change all the, all the letters to match the lies that they told in the other two layers, and get them back without getting caught. Help you if you believe that. Oh, by the way, you'd have to live over 1,400 years to do it. You go, well that's, well, that's not a big deal, Brian. There's other historical documents. Well, can I be honest with you? Julius, Ce- Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, there's 10 manuscripts that we have today. The earliest one that we have was written 900 years after the original. How about Aristotle's Poetics? He's a Greek philosopher. There's five manuscripts, roughly. The earliest one, 1,400 years. It was written 1,400 years after the original. Herodotus, a Greek, a Greek, histori- a Greek historian, and Homer, not Homer Simpson, but Homer, the Greek author. There's less than 10 manuscripts both spanning somewhere between 600 and 1,000 years after the original. Folks, we have the New Testament written down decades 
We even have, sorry, we have copies of the New Testament written down decades after they were originally planned. Originally penned, excuse me. I hope it's quiet because you guys are thinking. Not because you're judging me. Yeah, so. Here's the other thing. So they have eyewitness accounts documented and written down in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. But they also declare supernatural events. The deaf healed. The blind see. The dead are raised. We have a woman with an issue of blood who touches the hem of Jesus' garment and is healed. We have blind Bartimaeus who's sitting on the road near Jericho and, and he hears that Jesus is coming by and he cries out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals him. We have the lame paralytic sitting down and Jesus tells to get up, take up your mat and go home. And he does. All with eyewitness accounts documented in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And you go, well, well, I've heard that there's some other gospels out there. And do you want to know why they are not in here? It's because they don't line up with eyewitness accounts. We're looking at congruent, consistent documentation. Oh, here's another one. Jesus goes into the grave on Friday. Tomb empty on Sunday. Not just superhuman events, supernatural events written down by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And they also speak of specific prophecy. They, they talk about specific things that were going to happen. Can I share some stats with you? Who likes stats? Who's a numbers person? I, I knew I could count on you, Graham. Asia, I'm sorry to include you in that as well. Do you want to know what the chances are of one person fulfilling just eight of the prophecies that Jesus did? Do you want to know the percentage? Do you want to know the odds? It's one in 100 quadrillion. That's one with 17 zeros after it. Think about it, folks. How about just one person filling, fulfilling 48 prophecies. That's one chance in the 10 to the 157th power. So that's one with 157 zeros after it. Jesus, according to Josh McDowell in his book, Evidence that Demands a Verdict, the chances of one person fulfilling the 300 plus prophecies that Jesus did could only be fulfilled by him. We have 300 prophecies that are spoken of that, that Jesus would, even his, even his birthplace. Can I, can I show you something that's so crazy? This blew me away the first time I saw it. In Psalms 22, I want you just to listen to this and, and ask yourself, where have I heard this before? In Psalm 22. Actually, let me give you some context first. So we've only had numbers in the Bible for the last like couple hundred years, Okay. The original documents didn't have numbers. They were put there for me and for you 
who can't find our keys sometimes, we can now find verses in the Bible, okay? That's why we have them. So back in the early days when they would say, hey, let's, let's get together in our gathering and let's listen to Psalm 22. Let's read Psalm 22. I wouldn't say to you, hey, open up to Psalm 22. The practice was that you would say the first line of Psalm 22, and that would be the title. Well, the first line is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you heard that before? Maybe when Jesus was on the cross? Check this out in verse six. But I am a worm, and I am not a man, a reproach of, of men and despised by the people. All who, see me, all who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Wow, where have we heard that? Was that in the, maybe the Pharisees saying, oh, hey, let God rescue you. If you're all buddy-buddy with the Lord, let him get you down from there. Verse 16, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a, as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart, my heart is like wax. It is melted within me. If you look, I know this is intense, but if you study what happened to Jesus when he was on the cross, he was pierced in the side, upwards, puncturing the pericardium. And what came out of him? Blood and water came out of him. He's speaking of his heart melting like wax. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared, and my tongue clings, excuse me, cleaves to my jaws. Do you remember how they, they, would, they raised up sour wine to Jesus because he said that he what? He thirsted. Are you guys starting to see this? For dogs have surrounded me. Folks, that's, that's Gentiles. That's the Romans. They are surrounding him. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. Who was crucified on Jesus' left and his right? Evildoers, thieves. He was being crucified alongside these people. Check this out. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones they look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We'll read, we read in Matthew 27 and verse 35 that the Roman soldiers were what? Casting lots for Jesus' garments. Folks, that was written down a thousand years before Jesus was crucified by a man who had never seen a crucifixion because it had not been invented yet. So not only do we have eyewitnesses' accounts, but it's been documented and written down in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, and it declares to us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecy. And lastly, it claims to be divine and not human in origin. As we jump back into our opening scripture in 2 Peter and verse 1 and 19, it says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. And you might be saying, yeah, but Brian, men wrote these words. I'd hate to break it to you. Men have written every book that has ever been written. So, Because I would have loved, if this argument is true, that, oh, hey, men wrote this, so therefore it's fallible, therefore it can't be trusted. I would have loved that when I was supposed to be doing my math homework, folks. Well, I don't know if I should do that, because that, that textbook was written by men, after all. And they are fallible. I think I should get a pass. If I had only known, that would have been my, my trump card. I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't matter. There's, no, there's nowhere ever. Like, I don't know where this, this idea came from that it has to be, in order to be true, or in order to be God-inspired, it has to be written down, like, magically. It doesn't matter that it's written down by men. It matters if it's truthful and accurate. So can we just maybe settle this for a second? We go, well, I'm a, I'm a scientific person. Or maybe you have, you have friends in your life and they say, well, I would, I, would, I would believe in Jesus, but I'm scientific. And if you can't prove it to me scientifically, I am not gonna believe in Jesus. Well, first of all, you don't use the scientific method to prove historical events. You could not use the scientific method to prove to me that you went to Starbucks this morning. Why? Because the scientific method requires something to be visible, repeatable, and measurable. You guys tracking with me? So we have to use the evidentiary method. We have to look for names, dates, eyewitness accounts. We're going back to the, the crime drama here. We're being an investigator. We're getting our, our Quincy hat on. Or what was that other guy? Columbo? Was Columbo? Folks, try, please help me out. Columbo was one of them? We're going to be like Colombo. We're going to ask some questions. Eyewitness accounts. You know, some might argue this a little bit, but I have to say, if these disciples were in to making money, uh, they weren't doing a good job. Let's just be honest. If, if these disciples were in and they were saying all these things, they were writing down all these things, and they were preaching this gospel about Jesus. If they were in it for popularity, they were doing it wrong, apparently, because they were all martyred, except for John. They were doing it for riches. They had a bad business advisor. They weren't making money. I want to say this, God is not the author of confusion. And a lot of times we can be afraid of intellect because we think that somehow it's separate from faith. You go, well, I just, I believe things because I feel them. And this is the problem going on in our day to day is that my generation and your generation, we will believe tons of different things as long as somebody says it with passion and they feel it. 
so faith is, is not based in any actual fact. Faith is just more of my feeling, and I think I kind of lean this way. I don't know why I believe it, but I do. Do you know that you are, you are exercising biblical faith right in this moment? Do you want to know why? You are trusting in the, the structure and the capacity of the chair that you are sitting in right now. Hopefully you looked at it before you sat down in it. You said, I think this can hold me. Right? You ever made that mistake and like maybe not checked it out first? I have. And I have eyewitness accounts. But see, this is what faith is supposed to look like. Wow. Wow, that's lining up. I think this can, I think this can hold me. And then you sit down and you put your faith in the chair God wants you to have that same type of faith in his word where you're not just like, oh, I believe. But you can have hope. You can have confidence because God's not the author of confusion. He is not wanting you to walk through this world going, oh, man, I just, I don't want to look foolish. I don't want to, man, I'll believe this, but I don't want to let anybody know. Man, I gave you some tools today. You could show someone. You could walk somebody through just what I said to you. Like, listen, anybody can do this, okay? Anybody can do this. That you actually have eyewitness accounts documented and written down in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that declare supernatural events in fulfillment of biblical prophecy and that they are divinely inspired. Maybe just as our worship team comes here this morning, I just want to read a passage to you out of John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, we don't just have the word in black and white ink on paper. We have the word made flesh in Jesus. That in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Yet God in his love gave his only begotten son for a lost and dying world so they didn't have to be confused anymore about why they're alive. They didn't have to be confused anymore about who he is. They didn't have to die for their sins. They could be forgiven. They could come into right relationship with Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've been wandering in your faith and you've been, I don't know if I can do this, I want to quit, I'm telling you here today, the Word was made flesh for you to have confidence in who He is, in His likeness, in His character. He was made flesh for you. And as even as we read in Psalms 22, that God gave his son to take my place on the cross, to take your place on the cross so that you didn't have to pay for your sin. You didn't have to pay for your shame. And 
here's something that's so amazing and so sufficient of Christ's work is even in that moment where he is being crucified, one of those thieves who was moments ago was mocking him and, and was making fun of him just like everybody else turns to him and says, you know what, Jesus, I, I, you are who you say you are. Man, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. And he says, surely you will be with me in my kingdom. In that moment, there was a turning. In that moment, there was a, there was a turning away of trusting in himself and having to be the answer for his own sin. Now he's looking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you be the answer in my life. And he says, surely, surely as I enter my kingdom today, you will have a place. I will remember you. Man, if you don't know Jesus here this morning, that's a promise for you. Is that you can know whose you are and who you are in Jesus. Can you stand to your feet with me this, here this morning? Thanks for listening. We would love to hear how you have been impacted by this message. You can contact us at info at hillcity.ca or simply find us on Facebook and Instagram.